Looking at the chaos all around us, it can be hard to see God's grand design. Some pieces are easy and familiar, but some don't seem to fit. And a few pieces appear to be missing altogether. So is life just random? Is God really in control? Does he see something that we don't? With time and patience and trust in the designer of life itself, we'll see that God has all the pieces carefully laid out. And there will be a day when everything will come into focus and we'll see the wisdom, the perfection, and the beauty of all that God planned. Hello, church. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King Church. I want to give a special welcome to all of those of you who are joining us online. And if you're here in person, we are so thrilled that you are here. We're so expectant for what God is going to do right here in our midst today. And I'm sure some of you are looking behind me wondering what's going on. And we'll get to that when the time is right. But I actually wanted to start today with a quote from Robert Schuller. He says, spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. Spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. This week I've been learning that behind every person who effortlessly is good at something is a lot of effort that's gone into making it look that way. I don't know where your brain goes when you hear that. Where mine goes is long distance running. I don't know if you've ever seen this in the Olympics, but the fastest marathon runners in the world, it looks like they are going out for a Sunday stroll. They are just looking like they are going in slow motion. And I can't remember who floated this idea, but I remember last Olympic cycle, I heard somebody say that what we really need to do is to put one average Joe in each event so that we can have a reference point to see just how remarkable these athletes really are uh, like throw me in there for example and you'll just see me at a dead sprint and these people who look like they're gallivanting are just going to be cruising past and I am promising you right now that you will be more impressed by what these guys and gals are doing because here's what I know it might look easy what they're doing but it is not easy this is not a casual jog that they're taking. This is the peak of human fitness and athleticism. This is a showcase of the greatest endurance athletes the world has ever known. And it might look easy, but it is not. It is impossibly hard. And it's not something that happened overnight. It's the result of a lifetime spent pouring themselves into their craft and putting in the work. Because spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. And today we're going to look at what it looks like to actually have spectacular preparation for Christmas. Right now we're in the middle of a series called God Plan where we're choosing to notice and appreciate the details and the complexity of God's plan because when we choose to notice and celebrate the details of the plan, what we're really doing is choosing to notice and celebrate the planner. And my hope throughout this series is that as we talk about God's plan for the world, it would actually stir up something in you. It would actually build your faith when it comes to seeing God's plan, not just for the world, but for you and your place in this world. And one quick note before we get too far is that as we collectively plan for this next year, we actually want to hear what's important to you. We don't want to assume that we know what you think because we know what assuming makes you and me. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but 
but we actually want to hear what you have to say. So what we've done is we've created a survey and it has three questions that we want you to answer. And the questions are, what are you concerned about in your life? What are you concerned about in the world around you? And then what would you like to learn more about in your faith? And I want you to know about this survey. It's completely anonymous. We're not looking for your name. We're just looking to learn from your perspective. And if you can fill that out, you can do so in info.ctk.church, or you can actually take and grab a paper copy out in the commons. As we plan this next year, our heart is to actually take you into consideration as we plan. And so today, our heart is to actually look at the preparation, the groundwork that happened before Christmas. And we're talking about God's plan to prepare the way for Jesus. But before we get into it, I want to pray for us. So could you bow your heads, Holy Spirit? We just, over the past few weeks, take the time to notice the details and the nuances and the beauty of your plan. God, your plan is not what my plan would have been. God, your plan is so much bigger, so much better, so much more all-inclusive, so much more challenging. So Jesus, we just say thank you, God, that you are the master planner. God, that you have every detail in your hands. God, that you are not overwhelmed by the minutiae and what seems trivial, God, that you uh, are never in a place where it just feels like there's too much going on, that you are calm, that you are not just uh, hovering around your throne, that you are seated on your throne and you are ruling and reigning and you are not nervous. God, we lean into you and your wisdom today. We just ask that you would ignite something new in our hearts. God, captivate us and actually draw us closer to what it looks like to align our hearts with you today. God, our prayer this Christmas is that we would keep you central and that we would see the way that you're moving, God, in the life of our community, in the life of our families, and in the life of ourselves. God, move in power. Give us ears to hear and eyes to hear or to see what it is that you're calling us to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him the title of my message. Tell him God's plan to prepare the way. God's plan to prepare the way. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you've got a Bible, you can pull that out and you can read along. If not, it's going to be right up on the screens for you. And it's starting verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came. He's preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. It says his food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So this is the story of John the Baptist that throws back to Isaiah 40, which is this beautiful prophetic promise that God says, I'm not just bringing a savior, I'm bringing one who will actually lay the groundwork. It says, I'm bringing one who's going to take the mountains and make them low and bring the valleys and make them high so that the path will be straight for the coming king. 
I love this story in Matthew 3 because God could have prepared the way for Jesus any way that he wanted to. Do not forget that he is all-powerful. He has all of the crayons at his disposal. He's not like you when you were a kiddo with eight crayons. He's got the whole box. He could have done whatever he wanted. Like he could have set the sky on fire and written, the king is coming, which would have been remarkable and it would have just been awe-striking and beautiful. He could have actually had all the animals stand up on two feet and start talking in the native tongue and saying, I have good news that's for all the people, and that would have for sure gotten their attention. He could have brought down a choir of 10,000 angels to prepare the way for the coming king, but instead of doing anything remarkable or impressive like that, he chose to enlist the help of a man named John. So what's so special about John? Why is John chosen for this task? Well, here's one thing that you do need to know about John. This is where my brain went. It went to Matthew 11, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived. None is greater than John the Baptist. None is greater than John the Baptizer, as they call him in some different translations. So what that means is that according to Jesus, John is the goat. How many of you know what the goat means? The greatest of all time. So Jesus says it's not Muhammad Ali. He says it's not Wayne Gretzky. He says it's not Serena Williams. He says it's not Geno Smith. Why are we laughing? He says it's not LeBron or MJ. No, Jesus says it's this dude who runs around the desert doing a different kind of dunking. He says, the man that I call great wears a camel's hair clothing, eats bugs, lives in the wilderness, and occasionally screams at people. And I love all the details in this story because it really forces you and I to check our scorecards. Friends, I wonder, what is your definition of success this Christmas? Because I need you to know that the man Jesus says was greatest was probably a failure in every metric that you're currently tracking on didn't have the big home, might not have had any home at all. He wasn't a foodie, he liked to eat bugs. And yet there was something about his heart, something about his being that Jesus says was great. Friends, what does it look like for us to actually check our metrics and say, well, what is it, God, that you're calling me to lean into this season? So I love the John the Baptist because he subverts every expectation we have about what greatness can look like. But more than who John was, what I really want to focus on today is what John said. And it might not be the Christmas message that you were expecting today, but I'm telling you right now, this message has power again. This is the message that was sent into the universe to prepare the way for our king. In Matthew 3, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea, and he was saying this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So this is the message that would pave the path for Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Just for context, the message I wrote for you this week is 4,086 words. John's message to prepare the world for the coming of Christ was nine. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come Near. And what I'd like to do with the rest of our time is break those nine words into four parts to just try and help display the beauty that John is actually pointing to. So the first part of the message is his intro. He says, repent. Will you say that word with me? Repent. 
He says, repent. And this is his whole intro to his message. He must have forgotten that in communication theory, they tell us to actually start with a funny story or an antidote to bring people in. When John gets the mic, he's like, no, nah, I'm good. And he says, hello, friends. Welcome to church today. Repent. This is my introduction for you. Repent. And it's a strong intro. I'll give him that. But I have one small issue with it. My issue with it isn't actually what it means. It's how it makes me feel, because when I think of the word repent, this is the picture that I get in my head. I think of a man holding a sign, and I was hoping to find an angrier one. This is the best one I could find. But this is the picture that I have in my head when I hear this word repent. My problem is that I see an angry man holding an angry sign about an angry God who wants to punish people who doesn't think the way that they think. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you hear repent, that doesn't sound like good news to me. Sounds like you gotta feel bad. You've gotta literally just like, oh man, I gotta sit in this. This is heavy. So this is our perception with the word repent. But what does repent actually mean? The word repent comes from this Greek word, metanoeo, which literally means, friends, change your mind. It says change the way that you Think. And I want you to notice that repentance isn't an invitation to change what you do. It's actually an invitation to change how you think. But I need you to know that that's not because God isn't interested in what you do. It's because he knows that life change always starts with mind change. Habit change always starts with heart change, which means that if you want to change your habits first, you have to change your mind. You have to actually see that something isn't working in what you're doing for it to grow a desire in your heart that actually creates space for you to do something new. You actually have to see clearly that something is broken before you have the space in your heart for that thing to be fixed. You have to change your mind. So John, not in a screaming way, or actually he might have been screaming, but at the end of the day, he's saying, change your mind. Change your mind. That's what I'm looking for. That's the, the foundation of my message. This is the action step. I want you to change your mind. Why? He says, because the kingdom of heaven has come. So the second part of my message, or of John's message, is for the kingdom of heaven. And here's what I need you to know about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks more about the kingdom of heaven than any other subject in all of Scripture. So if you sit down with Jesus for lunch, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's trying to instill in people. He wants you to know about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it's called the kingdom of God. Those are synonymous. He's saying the kingdom of God. This is what you need to know about the kingdom of heaven. This is what I'm bringing about in this world. This is what we actually need to actually grow something in our spirit. We need to grow a hunger for this kingdom that's coming, this kingdom that's come, the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus talks about it, he tends to lean more into metaphor than facts. He doesn't talk about the science of the kingdom. He talks about the essence of this kingdom, which makes sense because this is exactly what we do. The more that we love something, the less we tend to use facts when we talk about it. Like, for example, when I'm trying to get my girls to understand how much I love them, I don't quote facts about love. I try and find as many creative ways as I can to express that love. Like in our house, I love the sentence, I love you more, and then I try and find different creative ways to actually finish that sentence. And I've gotten oddly specific lately. I've just been coming up to them, I say, I love you more than the feeling of a perfectly struck golf ball, which for the record, I've experienced twice in my life, and it was life-changing. 
I said, I love you more than movie theater popcorn with just the right amount of salt. I love you more than Krispy Kreme donuts that were heated up for eight seconds in the microwave. I love you more than hot tubs on cold days and air conditioners on hot ones. I'm always looking for new ways to say it with hopes that it would help them see something about my love for them. I'm saying it a different way with hopes that for some, somehow they'll actually see more clearly what it is that I'm trying to communicate. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's looking for different ways to say what the kingdom of heaven is like with hopes that it would help us see it more clearly. He says so many different stories about this. One of my favorites is in Matthew 13. I want to share it with you. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. And he bought the field. For the record, this is the shortest parable in all of scripture. I'll read it again because it's just one verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When the man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had and he bought the field. And what Jesus is really communicating is that when you think about the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, I need you to know that it's not some far off experience that's found on mountaintops. It's something that's hidden in the fields that you're walking through. He's saying, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, I need you to know that when you find it, it's so good that it makes everything else in this world that you've ever chased seem small and insignificant by comparison. He's saying, I need you to know that when it comes to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it's so valuable that when you taste it and see it for yourself, you won't even think twice about selling everything that you have just so that you can have it for yourself. And by the way, when you sell it, it's not a sad day. It's a happy day. It says, in his joy, he sold all that he had so that he could buy this field with this treasure. And I'm guessing by now some of you are wondering why I've got two ladders behind me. Anybody interested? It's really because there's a simple question embedded in this parable that each of us is invited to wrestle with this Christmas season. It's this, what am I willing to let go of so that I can hold on to all that God has given me? And so for the sake of this illustration, we're gonna talk about this ladder as the promises of God and we're gonna talk about this ladder as if it is the promises of this world and so here's kind of what it looks like if you are uh, committed to if you are climbing up this ladder that means that you are caring about the things that the world says that you should care about and obviously when it comes to the world the thing that's the bottom rung it says that man I've got to get more money because if I had more money I could buy more stuff and more things and we all know that if I had more stuff and more things then my life would be more fulfilled and I'd be more happy and the next wrong means, man, I need to actually grow my following because if I don't grow my following, then people won't see what I do. And if people aren't seeing what I'm doing, then why am I even doing it? And then I go up here and I realize that there's so much pressure that I got to get good grades so that I can get into a good school so I can get a good job with a good salary so that I can have this good family with good kids who get good grades, who go to good schools, who get good jobs, who have good salaries so that they can have a good home. And I got to look a certain way and I got to act a certain way with all the things actually aiming in the direction of climbing this ladder as high as I possibly can, even though I know in my gut that a lot of the promises that it's promising me are actually empty. But then we got this other ladder over here. It's the, the ladder that represents a different path. This is the, the path where you're pursuing God's promises. And 
It, it looks different. It looks like this. It, it looks like I don't fully understand it, to be honest, but somehow through the grace of God, I've come to know that the human creator that created me actually loves me and calls me beloved. And that's hard for me to wrestle with because a lot of times when I look in the mirror, it doesn't look all that lovable to me, but he says that I'm loved. And so even though Christians are a little bit weird, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to follow him. And so I'm learning to, to walk with him and I'm learning to, to, to talk with him and pray with him. And I'm learning to, to give generously and sacrificially so I can actually invest in something that's meaningful, that's not of this world. And I'm learning to not just love the people who are like me, but to love the people that I can't even stand because he says that enemy love is the actual expression of love that we're called to. It's not just this thing that the world does, it's something bigger. And when I do this, this isn't like a performative ladder. It's a man, how much of myself can I give to God because God wants to give so much of himself to me. And the issue that we find ourselves in is that a lot of us who are well-intentioned in this room are actually trying to scale both of these ladders at the same time. And what that looks like is, Jesus, I wanna make you famous, but I also wanna have a following for myself. I wanna get credit for the things that I do. And, Jesus, I mean, I want you to have control of my life. I, I listened to that song that said, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm about that. But the, the issue is that I, I, like, to have a, I like to have a hand on the, the wheel myself. And, and Jesus, I, I mean, I want my life to, to have purpose. I want to be about the things that you're about. God, I want to have a calling and conviction, but I, I also really like to be comfortable. And no, actually, I'm not going to go up to the fourth one. But, but, but I do this to show you this picture because at the end of the day, it says in his joy, he sold it all. And, and what I'm trying to show you is that when it comes to the promises of God and when it comes to the promises of this world, you can't have it both ways. At some point, you actually have to choose. I show you this because to be honest, this is a picture of some of you here today. And maybe you're wrestling, you're like, wow, I'm feeling attention. I feel very exposed in this moment and I can't actually access all the things that God says that I should have access to. Oh, like it doesn't seem as good as God has described. Maybe that's because your foot is stuck over here and it's not giving you the ability to access what's over here. God in his love actually says, would you repent? Would you change your mind? Would you see the beauty that I'm calling you to? And would that repentance look like an actual decision to go all in, not so that we're missing out on something, but so that we can have more of what God has called us to, so that we can have more of the experiences and more of the calling and more of the purpose that he's promised to us and we can reach heights that we never dreamed of. God is saying, would you repent? Would you change your mind so that we can actually get you unstuck? this Christmas. I want to read a, a quote from Dallas Willard about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is the most comprehensive good news of the New Testament. It's the good news of the presence and availability of life in the kingdom. And here's the good news. It's available now to all who turn to and trust in Jesus. But don't miss it. He says, all who turn to and trust in Jesus. This isn't a firm foundation when you're trying to have feet on both ladders. He says, when you turn to and trust in Jesus, you actually get to experience the kingdom now. In Colossians 1:19, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell 
in him. And what I'm trying to say is, if you're still trying to understand what is this kingdom of heaven, look no further than the person of Jesus, because according to Colossians 1.19, he is God with the body. He is divine with the spine. And every time you encounter Jesus, you encounter the kingdom of heaven. So if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, every encounter where you've come in contact with the kindness of Jesus, that's the kingdom of heaven. Every moment where you've just had a glimpse, a window into his grace over your life, that's the kingdom of heaven coming today. Friends, the kingdom of heaven is better news than you could possibly imagine. It's better than the picture that you have in your brain. It's the declaration that there's no future version of yourself that God loves any more than he loves you right here, right now, as you sit, as you stand, wherever you are, whatever you did last night, whatever you're going to do tonight, it does not affect the way that God looks upon you says you are my beloved and in you i'm well pleased but make no mistake today god is inviting you to choose him fully he says my intro to the thing that's actually going to clear the way for Jesus is to repent, which means I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to see that the good that God's calling me to is so much better. So he says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. It has come near. The third part of John's message is has come, and I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven will come. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven might come someday. No, it says the kingdom of heaven has come, which means it's not a question. It's a declaration that the kingdom of heaven, this impossibly good news, this most valuable and beautiful treasure has come. It's here. It's landed. This is the notification that you've got when you actually order something online that the package has been delivered. The wait is over. The moment is here. The kingdom of heaven has come. The last part of the sermon is the word near because the kingdom of God hasn't just come somewhere. The kingdom of God isn't just here, it's actually near to you. John is making the promise that the kingdom of heaven is near, it's closer than you think, it's in our midst. Whatever you find yourself in or whatever situation you find yourself in today, whatever giants you are facing, here's what I can promise you with the utmost confidence. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And wouldn't you know it, this is actually the story of Christmas that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God with the bod, the author and perfecter of our faith, chose to write himself into the script of humanity. And when he did, he brought the kingdom of heaven, not just here, but near to us. This is literally not just in preparation for the Christmas story, this is the declaration of the Christmas story. The kingdom of heaven has come near. He has brought what was far, close, and he's made a way where there's no way. Friends, what I'm trying to get you to see is that this scripture that's been put on signs that says repent, that actually is used to strike fear, that's been used to scare people, what if it's not actually scary at all? I'm curious how many of you have seen the movie Monsters, Inc. And... Uh, I know I've shared this with you before, but this is just the best way I've ever found to describe the life that God's calling us into. 
For those of you who don't know, Monsters, Inc. is this incredible movie about a community of monsters who run off of fear. And my wife wanted me to let you know that this is an animated movie. It's not a scary, real movie. She was very fearful that uh, it would come across as, as too scary. And so this is animated Pixar just to set the scene. So there's this community of monsters who run off of fear, and fear is their energy source, it's their currency, it's what they do. And they extract screams from little kids while they sleep, and those screams are the very things that charge the batteries that keep their lights on. And for as long as this monster world has existed, that's just how they operated. It's not that they hate kids or anything, they just had to do what they had to do to make sure that the bills got paid. And what ends up happening in this movie is there's this cute little kid named Boo, and Boo actually gets into the monster world, and the monsters are all afraid of Boo, they don't know what to do, and then they actually think that she's dangerous. But in the quintessential moment of the movie, one of the monsters unintentionally makes Boo laugh, and the most remarkable thing happens. When Boo laughs, every battery in the room starts to light up. And they don't even have enough batteries to contain the energy from this little kid's joy. And what they realize in this moment is that the whole time they thought that it was fear that was going to keep them going, but in reality it was the joy and laughter and connection that had the potential to give them more energy than they would ever know what to do with. And friends, this seems so simple, but I had this moment a few years back after watching this movie where I was like, my goodness, Monsters, Inc. is the gospel. <laughs> I said, this is the good news. This is the invitation to the church because for years with the best of intentions, the church has taught people that you better get your life under control. You better shape up and read your Bible every single day. You better think the right things and do the right stuff or else. I mean, to this day, a lot of churches are more known for hating sin than loving people and friends. That shouldn't be so. There's this undercurrent of fear in a lot of the teachings in churches. And that's a real issue to me because the story of Jesus isn't about fear. It's about love. And scripture says the perfect love casts out all fear. Amen? So it's not this story about death. It's actually a story about life and life to the full that Jesus is inviting each of us to experience today. And I believe that we have an opportunity in front of us today to see that there's a different energy source that's available to us. There's a joy that Jesus is inviting us into to experience, to share, because fear might motivate people for a little bit, but I'm convinced that revival will not come until people are actually invited into life to the full that Jesus has actually offered us. It's not fear, it's love, it's to laugh, it's connection, it's experiencing the joy of salvation and seeing that the joy of salvation is so much more powerful than the fear of death or hell. Friends, I need you to know that joy is the future of the church. Love is the future of the church, not fear, not manipulation, not guilt, not condemnation, not hate, not division, not judgment, but joy. And Jesus, in his kindness, is saying, will you change your mind? Will you see the joy that I've called you to? Will you turn and trust in me and see that I actually have so much more that I'm trying to give you, but your leg is just stuck on this other ladder? Friends, the invitation of Christmas is this. Will you change your minds, not because something bad might be coming for you, but because something unfathomably good already has come? I want to close with this. C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses 
but completes the joy. And that's kind of a mouthful, I get that, but the part I want you to focus on is that it says that the praise not merely expresses, but completes the joy. I love this idea of something completing the joy that we have. And when I heard this idea, what it really is talking about is that when we praise something, when we celebrate, when we share the things that we enjoy, it doesn't just serve as a way to express the feeling, it actually completes the joy that we have. And so when I started thinking about this, obviously my brain went to Chipotle. I've been a big fan of Chipotle over the years. Uh, I love eating it. I love talking to people about it. I love bringing people for the first time and just seeing that light bulb go off in their head when they see what it looks like to have true joy in your hands. And what I found is that the only thing better than eating a double steak burrito with guac is actually experiencing that first experience with somebody else. I don't know how to explain it other than to say it just makes it better. Somehow, some way it completes the joy that I have. I was thinking about it like this. If you hear a new song and it's the best song that you've ever heard in your life and it's just like, wow, this is amazing. Like, how good is that to experience a song like that? But I don't know if you're like me, but if I hear that song, there's just something in me that's just unsettled. I need to share this song with my friend Jacob so that he can hear what my ears just heard. Like there's something that's unfinished until I actually share the thing that I enjoyed so much until it's been shared with somebody else. And that actually doesn't just express, I'm not just saying, hey, Jacob, this is an amazing joy that I've experienced. It actually completes it in me when I share it. There's something just in our wiring that sharing something beautiful actually completes the joy that we have. I promised I wouldn't use this analogy, but uh, this is just the way that it came to me today. It's like, Enjoying something and not sharing it is like chewing food and not swallowing it. And it's like, this tastes great, but there's something about sharing it that actually allows it to be digested in us completely, you know? And so I was thinking about this, and this Christmas, you and I have been confronted with the greatest joy the world has ever known, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the message, this is the proclamation, this is the declaration of Christmas, that the King of Kings, that the Lord of Lords has come near to us. And my simple question this Christmas is this, who are you going to share it with? And not just for them, but for you, because it completes the joy in us. So on your way into the worship center today, you should have received an invitation that looks like this. If you have this, can you show it to me? Can you hold it up? see four people who are doing a great job and the rest of you are, are uh, a little slower. That's okay though. But uh, really what it comes down to is, is we wanna create space um, for you to, to not just look at this as a piece of paper, but an invitation for somebody to experience the great joy that we've experienced, to invite people into this story that's so remarkable. And so I'm going to invite you to actually hold on to this. And what we want to do is we want to create some space. We're going to create space for you to actually pray over this invitation and ask God, God, will you put a word, will you put a name on my heart that you're inviting me to invite into the Christmas story this year? And so while we do that, Eve and the team is going to come and they're going to sing a song that's about making room for God to work in and through us. And so just receive this song and be praying that, Lord, would you put a name on my heart? so that I can actually invite somebody into the story this year. So let's receive this song together.